0: Welcome back to another episode of Salt Lime Storytime. I'm Jess Nani, and this is my illustrious co-host. Allison Hillman. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Allison. Hi, Jess. How are you on this lovely Monday I... afternoon? Evening? evening?
1: Evening. Evening. I'm great. <laughs> I spent all day researching because I saved it all to the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. um. Last night, instead of researching, I watched... who, Which is... Honestly, it has to be probably one of my favorite movies of all time. And I have to thank our friend Isabella for introducing me to it. It's called, have you seen
0: um, A Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Oh, oh, many times. It's so good. It was my last movie I saw in theater before COVID.
1: Really? Oh, I yeah. wish I I wish I wish had seen it in theater. It's so beautiful, like the shots and everything. Anyway, um, I watched that again last night. And I just is so good. And anyway, so if you guys haven't seen that, I would watch it. It it's really great. And so I, uh, you know, I spent last night like crying over that movie and, um, drinking some red wine. So it is probably like one of the best depictions of like a lesbian relationship I've ever seen, with mm-hmm. it not being like creepy. And there's also no men in it. Not a single man None. speaks a word in that entire movie. Like they are in like one scene at the beginning and like one scene at the very end as like people delivering people to places. Like they're simply they mm-hmm. don't say
0: anyway, it's it's wonderful. I love that film so much. I didn't know that you also loved it and I feel like this is a I just uh oh, it's so good. It's beautiful all of the things um so you know what that sounds like a very productive use of your time last night and I don't think that you should beat yourself up for it at all <laughs> thank you I don't I don't think so either and um
1: and also uh while I was watching I looked out my window and saw this deer with humongous antlers eating the birdseed off the ground and I freaked out and I ran upstairs and scared the shit out of my mom i was like come come here, come here!" and she just like got up and was like what the hell is going on we ran to her window and we could see them very we could see him like very clearly from the window and he had these enormous antlers and the window was cracked open so we were trying to be really quiet and then we saw his friend there was another ant like deer with huge antlers there too and then we were just kind of pausing like looking at this marvelous scene and my mom just says god that's one big rack and (laughs) I just lost it it was so funny like I was crossing my legs trying not to pee I was crying she was crying and we were trying to like but we were laughing so silently because we didn't want the deer to run away and anyway and so it was just one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my entire life and the deer did not run away we were quiet enough but like I thought i was gonna pass away from a heart attack it was so good anyway so that was just it was fun incredible
0: thank mm-hmm. you carrie for that
1: <laughs> truly one of my favorite memories of her a core core memory with your mom Mm-hmm.
0: for sure so i spent yesterday doing a multitude of things um it was my great-grandmother's 85th birthday, so we had a little family birthday party in the morning at a park for her, which was fun. I got to see a bunch of my cousins that I haven't seen in a really long time, and that was great. And then today, I've been wed- wedding venue shopping, which, when I tell you, it is the most nerve-wracking experience ever to like stand in a room and say, is this where I want to publicly declare my love for time and all eternity to this other person? And then be like, there's an annoying outlet in the middle of this wall that I'd be getting married in front of. Do I really want to do that? Oh, my God. <laughs> really makes you feel like the worst version of yourself. <laughs> I believe that. Wow. <laughs> um, but we are hoping to make a decision by the end of this week. And who knew? Who knew that this was so nerve wracking? Okay. Not 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 great. But also like kind of fun, kind of romantic. But also then you think too hard about it. And I'm like... Why don't we just elope? (laughs) Fair enough. Fair Um, enough. But I also, Allison, I have a game recommendation for you and our listeners. I bought the game for PS4 and PS5 Stray today or yesterday. And I don't know if you've heard of this game, but you play as a stray cat in a dystopian, like, city with robots and stuff. And you're just trying to, like, get outside again. And it is beautiful like kind of creepy but like beautiful and like the little cat meows and you get to like do all these fun things but you're also still a cat so like anytime you meet a new robot you get to like rub up on it and like you can take naps and like you can knock things over with your paws for like no reason other than just to knock them over (laughs) yes oh that sounds amazing it is the best 30 dollars i've spent in a long time wow I might have to get so that actually. You absolutely should. And also if you want to be my friend on PlayStation, please do, because now I've like had to make myself a little profile. <laughs> to play oh, you a gamer girl. Gamer girl over here. So I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit slow in my research for this as well because I've been just playing that game. But I'm very thrilled with what I have researched. So I'm very excited. Ten out of ten recommend the game but maybe not when you're trying to write a podcast. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) I got bogged down in
1: playing, uh, replaying more Nancy Drew games as well this weekend. Um, I am now on Nancy Drew game TikTok. Thanks to you. Which is so funny. Cause no, but that's the thing is like, I don't know how, because you know, this happens all the time. Stevie said that she got on um Bethany Hamilton TikTok after listening to the Sharkbite episode. And then you're like, oh yeah, now I'm on like Nancy Drew game. But I game TikTok, but like I'm not on any of those TikToks. I talk about it all the time. So it's so weird that they target the people I talk to them about, but not me. But anyway, Jess, one of the things I want to gift you eventually is one of those games so you can play it for yourself. They're so fun. But anyway. <laughs>
0: Well, this week we are covering musical legends, and I am so excited for this topic. I both of us love music, uh, but I think we come from very different, like musical introduction backgrounds. So I'm so excited to hear who you've picked. I think I've picked a great one, so excited to tell you all about them. But Allison, anything else to cover before we start? Um, no, but. This has to be one of my most unhinged
1: stories of all time. You have no idea what you're what you're in for. So I just wanted to give you a fair warning. Um, okay, mine's
0: very wholesome. So, <laughs> alrighty, let's get started. So when we were discussing topics to do, I had just finished reading the book Daisy Jones and the Six. Audience and Allison. if you have not read it, I highly recommend giving it a read or a listen. The audiobook is really good because they hired voice actors, not like audiobook narrators to read it. So it's like a whole cast of characters and it's really like fun to listen to. Um, basically, the book is like a fictional version of a woman writing a biography of a band that's like very similar to Fleetwood Mac. I'm surprised she didn't get like copyright violations <laughs> publishing it. Cause there's like a lot of similarities, but I could like not put it down. It was so good. And it had me like kind of romanticizing like the seventies music scene and like the concept of like fame pre nineties and like kind of this golden era of Hollywood. Right. So the moment we established this theme, I knew exactly who I wanted to do. My music legend for the week wears many hats She's a singer, a songwriter, an actress, a philanthropist, godmother to the stars, a wig connoisseur, the list goes on. Allison, do you have any guesses on who I'm doing? My initial thought was
1: Stevie Nicks. But now I think you're doing Trixie Mattel. Close.
0: I'm doing Dolly Parton. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yes. I was going to do. Yes. Which, it's funny because Trixie Mattel gets a lot of, like, her reference material from Dolly Parton. So you're not far off. But, yes, this week I will be taking you on the rags to riches story of one iconic Dolly Parton. American sweetheart, champion of the Appalachians. Dolly is a true paradox. We love to see it. She's equal parts country, Christian, blonde-haired, rural woman, while also being the champion for AIDS research, the vaccine, aka the reason that we are allowed to see each other again, (laughs) LGBTQ plus rights, job reform, and more. She's the daughter of immigrants, a princess of the hardened farmer's life. She's worked for every success she's had, and she's earned them. We love a queen who can do it all, and I cannot wait to get into this. So my sources are a lot. So hold on real quick. The YouTube video by Brute America, The Life of Dolly Parton, a Vanity Fair interview of Dolly Parton breaking down her career from 9 to 5 to Hannah Montana. Dolly Parton, an interview from Top News called Dolly Parton talks about life, family, childhood, church, and God. A CBC interview called Dolly Parton keeps it pure and simple. A Pitchfork interview called Dolly Parton breaks down her albums from Hello, I'm Dolly to her most recent Christmas album. Uh, An Allure interview titled Dolly Parton explains the evolutions of her look, which was highly, highly entertaining. I didn't really use anything from this video, but it was fun to watch her like go through her little style evolution because she's so like specific looking. It's really it's a good time. Uh, A article from Shoba's Cheats Sheet by Kelsey Gores titled The Song That Always Makes Dolly Parton Think About Her Brother Who Died As A Baby. Um, very bleak title, a New York Times article titled The Grit and Glory of Dolly Parton by Emily Lordy, a Library of Congress timeline of Dolly Parton's musical career called Dolly Parton Timeline, um, the Dolly Parton biography page on the website dollyparton.com, um, the Dolly Parton Country Music Hall of Fame article titled Tennessee Mountain Home, then, of course, Wikipedia article for the song I Will Always Love You. This the album Hello, I'm Dolly, and then the Wikipedia article about Dolly Parton herself. So. And then the Wikipedia wow. articles for all of her awards, which is a separate Wikipedia article page. So thank you oh, so much shit. for bearing with me on that. But clearly, I like had a lot of fun researching this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Of these, I would also recommend the New York Times article, The Great and Glory of Dolly Parton, was also very excellent and like a great commentary on um, like country music as like an American icon, but like also a way for like the working class to like talk back to their corporate overlords. Very much enjoyed it. Anywho. <clears throat> All right, let's get into this. Dolly Rebecca Parton was born to A.V. Lee Caroline Owens and Robert Lee Parton Sr. on January 19th, 1946. Her mom, who was 23 by the time Dolly, her fourth child, was born, would go on to give birth to 12 children by the time she was 35. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And technically speaking, she had 13 children. That's
1: a no for me. It's a no for me. So.
0: It's a lot. It's a lot. Dolly's father recalls paying for her birth with a sack of cornmeal. That's how poor they were when she came into the family. The Partons grew up in a one-room cabin off the banks of Little Pigeon River in Pittman Center, Tennessee. Allison, go ahead and Google a image of Dolly Parton's one-room cabin. On it. Okay. So you should be seeing a few images of, like, a pretty small cabin, but there's one that I think is close to the top that's, like, five beds in one room, and there's, like, a crib and, like, a big bed and then a bunch of little beds. Yes, that one. So, <laughs> Dolly. Yikes. Yeah, seriously. And, like, in, keep in mind, they're having 12 children through this, so, like, no Stop privacy. having sex and <laughs> p- making kids if you can't even. I'm sorry. Okay, just stop it. I mean... Access to birth control in rural Tennessee. Like, it I means you should have stopped after Dolly, but keep going. I know, seriously. Dolly recalled sharing a bed with three to four siblings at night and how the lack of running water in their home meant that they spent the majority of their days outside, bathing in the river and relying on it for flowing water. So Dolly's father was a sharecropper, primarily tending to tobacco. While he never learned to read, he had a keen business sense and kept the family afloat with various business ventures wherever he could. She often refers to him as one of the smartest people she ever knew. He would go on later to purchase his own farmland near Locust Ridge, Tennessee. Much of Dolly's music is dedicated to this little plot of land, and it's featured on one of her album covers down the road. There's a very famous image of Dolly sitting on the porch with a guitar a guitar. Um, several years into her fame, so it's showing her go back to her roots. It's very, sure, very right. I think I know what image you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just going to ask, where did her parents immigrate from? So her mother is the daughter of Wh- like of immigrants from Wales specifically, but um, very like English, English stock, like Irish and oh, okay English. So got it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So it kind of actually plays into her music, which we'll get into. So, despite the family's meager upbringing, Dolly was exposed to music from a very young age. Her mother, who was often ill from her many pregnancies—surprise, surprise—literally, mm, <laughs> I know, right? Would sing. She'd sing songs that had been passed down from her from her older relatives from Wales about their experiences immigrating to the Appalachian Mountains. They'd also sing like traditional. We- Is it Welsh? Is that Welsh? Welsh, better. Like Welsh um, songs, and then also they, they speak were whale. They just, it's just Dory in the background <laughs> speaking whale. Yeah, I'm sorry, no. Um, it's Welsh,
1: <laughs> not whaleish. <laughs> is just the accent that Wales in that
0: area have. I'm sorry. I've never been to Wales. Okay. Wales people, I'm very sorry. Welsh people, I'm very sorry. That's the one. You're doing great. You're doing great. I'm already sweaty, okay? I'm trying. <laughs> um in so okay. in Dolly's 2020 book, Songteller, My Life and Lyrics, she wrote, quote, So it was just natural for my mom to always be singing. My mother had that very old-timey voice, and she used to sing all and she used to sing all these songs that were brought over from the old world. They were English, Irish, Welsh folk songs where people tell stories, end quote. Dolly took to this music wholeheartedly. She wrote her first song, Little Tiny Tassel Top, at age five, and began performing... I know, isn't that cute? And she began performing in her grandfather's church by the age of six. She loved it so much that by the age of seven, she'd fashioned herself a homemade guitar to accompany herself and assist with her little self-composed songs. Finally, when Dolly turned eight, her uncle gifted her a real guitar, and the magic truly began to happen for her. However... Naturally. Tragedy struck the family when Dolly was just nine years old. In her memoir, My Life in Lyrics, Dolly recalls this time saying, quote, I lost my baby brother Larry. Because there were so many of us, mama would kind of assign each new baby to one of us to look after. Like, this is going to be your baby. I had planned and worked so hard to be ready for him, to be his little mama. Then when he died, it just absolutely crushed me. Crushed me. I still start crying when I think about little Larry. I was at a very vulnerable age. It was like I'd lost a baby of my own. She continued on saying, death was new to me at the time. I was trying so hard to deal with death, with sorrow, with grief. There was a little dead dead baby there. I remember seeing him in his little coffin and I just couldn't connect all that. End quote. Dolly would go on to write her song, Jeannie's Afraid of the Dark, about Larry and her experience with child death. This would become a pattern for Dolly as she worked through the traumas of her childhood through song and music.
1: It's not sad. Damn. Did he die in birth or was
0: it? Like an he died as a newborn, probably from exposure. I mean, they okay. did not have a great way to diagnose. Oh, that's so sad. I know. I know. Well, and she described, I watched, a, I watched a video interview with her talking about this as well. And she described how it was like an honor to be gifted a child from her parents. Like it was like, okay, you're old enough now. That you're going to care for a child, which, like, nowadays we'd consider parentified child, like, child rearing. But, you know, it's the 40s, I guess. So we'll take it with a grain of salt. But, like, she was so excited. And then also, like, something that's – that Dolly never had the opportunity to have children. She had to have a hysterectomy caused by undiagnosed endometriosis. So her and her husband don't have any children. So she – had like a lot of loss related to like this motherhood concept and she has like she's a phenomenal aunt and she's a godmother and all of these things So she's really leaned into like the aunt role but it's still like really so sad but damn i know i know oh anyway. no but it just makes me love yeah. her anymore just knowing where she's
1: gotten to like you haven't even gotten into that part yet but no she's one of my favorite people she's so
0: cool she seriously is when I was like okay who am I gonna pick I my initial thought was Stevie Nicks and then I was like okay but what about Dolly Parton so love it By 10 years old, Dolly had performed on many local radio and television shows around the eastern part of Tennessee. Her uncle was very plugged into the local music scene, and so he was able to get her a lot of these gigs on, like, very local radio and TV channels. By the time she was 13, she had been signed to a small record label called Gold Band Records with her song Puppy Love and was given the incredible opportunity to perform at the Grand Old Opry for the very first time. Music legend Johnny Cash introduced her to the stage during the performance, and later gave her the sound advice to follow her own heart when it came to her music. She wow. would go on to perform at the Grand Old Opry many, 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 many times. I have chills. I can't believe that Johnny
1: Cash. That's insane.
0: I know. And she, at, in that performance, she recalls that she was put on for Encore three times because of how Whoa. much they loved how she was so young, but, like, doing this crazy big venue. And she's so funny. In the art, in the interview I watched about it, she was like, I know now that it wasn't because I was musically talented. It was just because I was a little girl singing on, like, such a big stage. But still, like, isn't that so cool? It was probably both. They were probably like, holy shit, this kid's, like,
1: amazing. I know, right? <laughs> Like, damn, like, I would lose my mind. Every time I see, like, super talented kids, I, like, get emotional.
0: Yes. So after graduating from high school in 1964, Dolly moved to Nashville the very next day to pursue music in a way she couldn't from home. So she, like, walked across the stage, got her diploma, and was like, all right. Peace out. I'm going to Nashville. Like deuces. Deuces. It gets better, Allison. She met her husband the day she moved to Nashville, and they've been (sighs) married for five decades. No. Yes. That's so sweet. (laughs) I know. Uh, I think they got married in 1966, so they didn't get married right away, but she met him in a laundromat the day she moved to Nashville. Shut up. That's talk, so about, cute. talk about a meet cute. Uh, he very much stays out of the limelight as much as possible. So not much is actually like recorded about their relationship other than it's like prolific, li- prolific length. Dolly jokes that he's only seen her perform one time. He's just very like he ran a construction company. So very much it's the Dolly show and he is just there to support her behind the scenes. Which honestly, it's probably part of the reason that they've been together for so long
1: mm-hmm
0: so despite this meat cute uh this period of dolly's life was fry as she tried to make ends meet dolly in one of the interviews i watched recalls some nights only be being able to eat the free condiments she could acquire from the restaurants around the area she'd make soup out of the ketchup and mustard to get her through to her next paycheck oh oh that's brutal yeah yeah Also a little relatable, like, never that bad, but, like... Yeah. A little relatable. Listen, when it... She is... I mean, her net worth is, like, 500 million is what I was able to find. So she's like, made a shit ton of money. But, like, when you want to talk about literal... Literal rags to riches. Like... Yeah. She is... But it also shows, like, her dedication to the craft. Like, she... Could have gone home and been with her, like, family and had, like, probably better meals. But she was so dedicated to making it out of, like, that tiny town that she's like, I'd rather be eating ketchup soup that- and, like, be hungry than go home. Yeah. Like, then give up on the dream. So not everything was terrible for her during this time. Under her uncle's direction, the same uncle that gave her her first guitar, she started out as a songwriter for other performers in the area, including hits for Bill Phil- Phillips, Skeeter Davis, and Kitty Wells. In 1965, she was finally signed on to her first big girl label, Monument Records, and initially recorded a string of failed bubblegum pop songs despite her adamant requests to sing country. Her label thought she was too shrill and soprano to sing country properly, but after she sang harmony on an uncredited song she'd written for Bill Phillips, the song went the 1960s version of viral. Her label finally conceded to let her do country. (laughs) So these bitches, first off, she wrote the song and did harmony on it and they wouldn't like list her. And then it blows up and finally they're like, okay, I guess we'll let you do country. Good
1: so I'm like looking at pictures of her right now and her hair is fucking insane. I know in every single one. I know.
0: Okay, so that allure video that I referenced she's earlier. So cute. Isn't she just adorable? Ugh, she's wow. amazing. The allure video I referenced earlier talks about her wig transformation and it is highly entertaining. Sorry, I just I'm so glad you did this. I just love her. So isn't she great? Keep going. She's great. <laughs> So, her first country single, Dumb Blonde, reached number 24 on the country charts in 1966, proving she could make it in the space others thought she had no place in. She released her first full album, Hello, I'm Dolly, in fall of 1967, and it hit number 11 on the Billboard Top Country Albums list for the period. This initial success caught the eye of one Porter Wagner, a television personality who hosted the weekly TV show, The Porter Wagner Show. He offered Dolly a permanent position on the show as a performer when Norma Jean, a fellow country star, left the show suddenly to be married. A classic tale. Hmm. Can't sing and be married at the same time. Absolutely not. Dolly is proving that. (laughs) While his audience initially rejected Dolly, Wagner worked hard to endear her to the crowds with duets. For the six years the pair performed together on the show, one of their duets was consistently in the top 10 country song charts. Unfortunately, anything Dolly did by herself could not seem to find the same success. Even songs that we consider classics now, like In the Good Old Days, When Times Were Bad, which was released in 1968, couldn't touch the work she was doing with the show. By this point, Porter Wagner had a huge stake in Dolly's success. The songwriting company Dolly and her uncle had founded was now co-owned by Wagner, and he was financially invested in her going big. So the pressure was on even more. (sighs) After a continued string of flops, Porter finally convinced Dolly to do a cover of Jimmy Rogers' Mule Skinner Blues, and it launched at number three on the charts. They closely followed this release with their first number one hit single, Joshua. It seemed the 70s were going to be Dolly's time. For the next several years, she consistently had songs in the top ten without needing to rely on Wagner's name to get there. Her two biggest hits of the time period were Coat of Many Colors, which categorized her poor childhood, and a coat her mother had made her out of different colored rags to wear to school and the classic jolene jolene's was dolly's first song to make it onto the hot 100 which is like for all music genres and to rank in the uk charts so she'd finally hit international fame wow and jolene famously is about a bank teller that hit on her husband once so yeah
1: i've I've heard that i've I've heard two stories two stories i heard that one and she wrote she almost like wrote it like ironically Mm -hmm. and then the second one was she met a little girl who was a fan of hers, who was, like, eight or something, that had long red hair, and she said her name was Jolene, or it was something that's not really similar to that, but Dolly heard Jolene, and she was, like, inspired by mm-hmm. this little girl. So I've heard both of
0: those stories, but either way, yeah. it's amazing. My other favorite story about the song Jolene, and maybe favorite is like the wrong word, like phrase, I guess after it was released, Dolly came home to a baby on her porch with a note on it that said, this baby is named Jolene and it's for you for all of your work that you have like for how great the song Jolene was. So Uh, Dolly had to like call Child Protective Services and be like, yo, come get this fucking baby. Are you that's for real? Yes, that's real. Oh, my God. Yes. Eh. I know.
1: Isn't that crazy? Okay. This is a PSA to everybody out there. Um, if you have a favorite artist, celebrity, don't give them your children. No. That's some great advice. No. Just, I mean, as much as she maybe wanted a kid, she probably didn't want it quite like that. No.
0: Yikes. That is messed up. Did they ever find out who I did know. it? No, they, the, I mean, the only research I did into it, she referenced it in one of the interviews I watched, and I didn't, like, Google it beyond that, but isn't that Insane. That's freaking insane. Talk about fan mail gone too far.
1: Fan mail. (laughs) What if it was just, like, one big stork in the tree watching with a tear rolling down his cheek? He was like, this is
0: what she wanted. Oh, thank God. (laughs) So, aside from people dropping babies off on Dolly's doorstep, the early to mid 70s were by far her most creative years. She began to win awards for her vocals and she released one of her greatest albums, My Tennessee Mountain Home, a look back on her life in poor rural Tennessee and her determination to leave it all behind. In an interview with the Rolling Stones, Dolly was quoted saying, I wanted to be free. I had my songs to sing. I had an ambition and it burned inside me. It was something I knew would take me out of the mountains. I knew I could see worlds beyond the Smoky Mountains, end quote. With this series of successes, Dolly made the tough decision to leave Porter's show and venture out on her own. With no way to find the words to leave him and his support, she wrote the cinematic classic I Will Always Love You, the one as made re-famous by Whitney Houston in the 90s, and sang it to him in his office as her farewell speech. So, Could you imagine somebody like like one of your clients walking into your room and being like, I have something to say, and then just whips out like one of the most classic, like, movie songs ever. I will always love you. (laughs) Wow. I don't know what I would do. How can you be mad? Uh, Well, he did. We'll get there, but... (laughs) Sure. Uh, After they... So she did that for him privately, and then later down the road, after she released the song publicly, Elvis Presley, upon hearing the song for the first time, asked for half of the rights to perform it. So he would get half of the... Um, royalties for anybody that performed it beyond him and dolly dolly refused and required that elvis pay the same royalties if he wanted the song they estimate that this decision has garnered multiple millions of dollars in royalties for dolly since whitney houston has since made the song even more famous and again she really took johnny cash's words to heart and followed her business sense in her head on, like... Because at the time, like, Elvis Presley was huge. So, like, if Elvis walked into your office and was like, yo, I want the song, but here's an exchange for, like, money for the song. I want half the royalties. Like, that would be hard to refuse, especially as, like, a woman in the industry. Mm-hmm. But she did it, and she's made gobs of money because of it. So, good for her. We love, we love a woman in business.
1: And I've heard... Like there's a quote from her in reference to the fact that she um that Whitney Houston is often credited for writing this song and making this song. She said, quote, something like I don't care if she gets the credit as long as I get the cash. Yep. Like she yeah. doesn't give a shit. Yes. She's like,
0: whatever, man. Like Absolutely. Cause she, she we'll it. get we'll get into her songwriting accolades later, but songwriting is her first love. So if other people are performing her songs, I mean, that's how her career started is she was writing songs for other people. So as long as she got the check for it, she didn't care. So as legend has it. Dolly claims she wrote both the song Jolene and I will always love you in the same evening. (laughs) Talk about talk about a focused evening. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about being productive. Jesus. I know. Me over here like, oh, I've only played three hours of Stardew Valley today. Guess I better, like, write in my journal for a minute and I call that a productive evening. She's over here writing, like, two of the most classic, like, American songs ever. mm mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, Wow. So, her separation with Porter Wagner was absolutely marred by legal battles, resulting in her having to spend a decade paying off a breach of contract lawsuit. So, he really, like, said, fuck you. When she walked into his little office and sang her little song. So she had made him gobs of money on his show. They they made 13 albums together of their duets. And when she was like, hey, I want to go my own way. He was like, fuck you. Absolutely not. And she had to pay a lawsuit to get out of her, her contract. <sighs> While the two have since reconciled, which I think is dumb. Why would you reconcile? It's True. still like makes me so mad he like went on after the fact to produce several more of her albums even though she was like paying him for this lawsuit anyway the audacity of men in the like early 80s am I right or am I right the audacity of men period but true so the late 70s and early 80s were the king of Dolly Parton covers pop stars like Olivia Newton-John and Emma Lou Harris were scrambling to cover Dolly's songs Noticing this trend, Dolly decided to move into a more universal direction with her music. If people like the pop covers of her songs, why not lean into it? After a bumpy start with the pop tuning on her albums, All I Can Do and New Harvest, she changed to a high-rolling pop producer, Gary Klein, for help on her arguably greatest album, Here You Come Again. It was Dolly's first million seller. Her two singles from the album charted in the top 10 and top 20 of the country and pop charts, respectively, and stayed there consistently. Following this success, the 80s were nothing but hits for Dolly. Her singles remained in the top 10 regularly, and all of her following albums were met with great success. She appeared on many television shows throughout this time and won awards for her televised performance on Cher's 1978 variety show. Which, the fact that Cher had a variety show is really bizarre to me, but I guess they, like, won a Grammy for it, or an Emmy for it. Yeah, Cher would have been an interesting person to do for this
1: topic, because I don't even... I, feel, I swear I, that woman is a dinosaur. She's been she's been alive for, I swear, like 200 years. I don't know. Seriously.
0: And she doesn't crack. No, she can't. She's had too much Botox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, my God. So this time period also marked Dolly's foray into the movie business with her maiden voyage into acting on the cult classic 9 to 5 with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, more recently known for their, what's that show that we both love? Grace and like, Frankie. Grace and Frankie. Ugh. And I'm Lily, and you're Jane. Literally goals for our future. It's fine. Let's let's be old ladies and start a sex toy company. I'm ready. I'm so down. <laughs> Ugh, be great. So she wrote. Dolly wrote the theme song watching all of the women working on set for this movie she used her fake nails to strum some noise while she didn't have an instrument and the song nine to five was born something i love about the song that i didn't know until i started researching today is that when she recorded it she had all of the women on set both like the actresses and then all of the women working on like the technical side of it who weren't necessarily in the movie but were like helping with it they, She had them all come and sing along for one of the choruses. So when you listen to the song and there's like a background choir, it's all of the women working on that movie. <laughs> 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 oh,
1: I've, I have just had chills this whole time. She's so
0: cool. Right? Oh, my God. We're about to get into her philanthropy. So like grab a tissue. You know? oh, she okay. truly was like a 1980s feminist. And she talks about this so casually. Like, I was watching the uh, interview with, uh, she, this is from the interview with Vogue, and she's like, I just thought it would be fun to, like, give all these working women a chance to, like, participate in something. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. She's so cute. And 9 to 5, currently viral on TikTok, so good for her. <laughs> Racking oh that dough. Yeah. So, around the same time, Dolly began to lean into her give-back attitude. She's finally, like, made enough money that she can start giving back. In honor of her illiterate father, she started the Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, a service that sends children ages 0 to 5 one book a month until they go to kindergarten to encourage reading in underprivileged homes. In 2018, the organization sent out its 100 millionth book. Ugh! At the time of this recording, the best number I could find of total books sent to date was 178 million books.
1: Oh my god. I know.
0: I got like Misty writing it. I was like, that is a lot of books. <sighs> Incredible. She's really, she's really using her privilege to do good. Yes, because she knows. She came from the working class. She knows. She knows. In 1985, she, along with other investors, opened up the now famous Dollywood Park in East Tennessee. Its construction contributed heavily to the economy and created jobs and scholarship opportunities for the students in the area. Dolly has been quoted saying, my dream was to make as many people happy as I could in this life. End quote. And I think she's soundly accomplished that. Throughout the 90s -hmm. and the 2000s. Have you ever been to Dollywood? No. Me neither. Apparently it's the 24th top rated amusement park in America. So, like, Lagoon has a beat out, but, you know. Well, let's fucking go. So, (laughs) that sounds awesome. But, like, she was like, how do I create a bunch of jobs and a reason for people to come to this area that is otherwise, like, not something that gets visited? Let's build an amusement park dedicated to my fans. Like, ugh, she's so smart. So... (laughs) After that, throughout the 90s and the 2000s, Dolly moved back into songwriting and, a more, and created a more unique sound for her music. In 2001, she was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. It's estimated that she's written over 3,000 songs in her time, and she claims to have many more recorded to be released upon her death. In her book, Songteller, Dolly writes, quote, My name is Dolly Parton, and I'm a songwriter. And a singer, an entertainer, and a businesswoman, but if I had to choose just one thing to be, I would choose to be a songwriter. I could happily just sit in my house forever, enjoying life and writing songs, end quote. I know. (laughs) She's so pure. So also in the 90s, Dolly began to return to her Appalachian roots and sing more blues, grass oats, and eclectic mixes. She leaned into acting and appeared in Steel Magnolias to high acclaim. Equally important, she originated the role of herself in the hit musical comedy Hannah Montana as Miley Cyrus's godmother, who she is in real life. Dolly has been Miley's number one supporter throughout her life and career. With no kids of her own, Dolly has leaned into the rich, fun aunt role with incredible success. (laughs) yes and Miley also loves her so uh, Miley has rights to sing Jolene in her stage production so like, there's all of these little, it's just so, it's so sweet. And when I was watching one of the interviews, she references being Miley's godmother and, like, her time on Hannah Montana. And she was like, no matter what Miley does, I know that she has the best of intentions. And I will always be her number one supporter, even if the public doesn't agree. And I was like, that is a mom. That is a support system. That is somebody who took her role of becoming a godmother and, like, leaned into it. Ugh, she truly said i will always love you you know boom
1: boom baby full circle
0: (laughs) (sighs) so dolly continues to make music for movies and most recently released a covid christmas album i have not listened to this album but i will be when the time comes And in 2020, she donated $1 million to Vanderbilt Medical Institution to fund the early stages of the development for the Moderna vaccine. Her money played a critical role in getting the vaccine rolled out as quickly as it did. And if that doesn't give you chills, I don't know what will. She's
1: amazing.
0: I know. She is one of the most awarded female artists in history with nominations and wins from all the four major award institutions. She has 11 Grammys and 50 nominations, 10 Country Music Awards, including Entertainer of the Year, a title held only by seven other women, including Taylor Swift and The Chicks. Um, She has, I think, seven Academy of Country Music Awards and nominations from the Tonys, the Emmys, and the Academy. Had she won, she would have been one of five women with an EGOT. My favorite thing about Dolly, besides all my other favorite things about her, is that she can't read sheet music. So she has all of these accolades. She's written how many songs for other people, for herself. She's performed all over the world. The woman cannot read music. That's amazing. She plays entirely by ear. She's taught herself to play the banjo, guitar, electric guitar, fiddle, piano, recorder, and the saxophone. Holy by ear. shit.
1: <laughs> oh my god, that just like lends more credit to her being just like an astounding yes. musician.
0: Oh, and her nails. Let's lest we forget. Her nails have a mus- have, have a music credit on the song Jolene, like it says in the instrument like list. Nails by Dolly Parton. But what does she do with them? So, she has like fake acrylic nails that are always pretty long, right? So she'll rub them together. I wish – I don't have nails on right now, so I can't make the noise. But she rubs them no, together. No, I think and I know they, what you mean. They make, like, a little, like, clacking sound. And she yeah. does it as, like, kind of a – she talks about it as she does it as, like, a beat. And it kind of sounds like one of those, like, wooden – you know those in, when you're, yeah, like, an elementary like wash, school choir? Yeah. Yes. It's like a washboard. But she does that it with her hilarious. nails. That is hilarious. That is fucking awesome. It's so fun. So Dolly is a prolific household name, a talent, a beauty, a true hero to the working class. She's a multitude of things, and we love her for it. To end, I want to quote Emily Lordy of the New York Times. She writes, Only as an adult did I see how widely and warmly, if sometimes ironically, pardon has been embraced by people with little else in common. Her ability to navigate social and conceptual divides helps explain why this is. She is country without being retrograde, a friend to the outcast whose basic political philosophy that people should get paid to do what they do best is uncontroversial. She is beautiful without making beauty look easy, feminine but not fragile, white but not precocious, principled but not hardened or fixed. End quote. And that, my friends, is the brief life story of Dolly Parton and all of the amazing things she's done with her life. (sighs)
1: That was incredible. I she's just so cool. I'm so glad you did that.
0: I'm so she's, glad I did too.
1: <laughs> uh one of my favorite people. Like I have never heard a fact about Dolly Parton that I did not just utterly right. enjoy.
0: Right? She in the same New York Times article they reference that when the Chicks took the name Dixie out of their band name, I guess Dolly had like a small theater in her hometown that called um, Dolly's Dixie Theater and now she like took it out of the name like Dolly's it's now just Dolly's Theater and she's in she's in rural Tennessee she did not have to do that there No, like it wouldn't have done anything like other than people knowing that she has the term Dixie in like this small theater that like not very many people know about but she just like she did it on principle the same thing with a vaccine she is like a voice for these rural Americans this blue collar group that uh, statistically is less likely to be vaccinated. And she was like, I'm funding it. It's coming from Dolly money, not government money. Like, <laughs> ah, it's, I know. It's so smart. She does scholarships for her rural students. Like, uh. and she's a great singer and a great songwriter to boot. So she is. She, I actually really enjoy her music. Me too. Me too. It's so, I mean, that's like, she's got a 50 year career and more she's still releasing music. And the fact that she has a bunch of songs lined up to be released after
1: she dies like brings me makes me want to cry cuz it's know. just like it, it reminds me of Amy Winehouse's song um I think it was like Lioness Hidden Treasures that album that came out mm-hmm. after her death. It was like a I think it was a collection of music that she hadn't released yet. Mhm. It, it's and they oh, they end it with like the the song ends with her just Talking, and it is so touching, and it brings me to tears almost every time I listen to it. And Mm -hmm. just, like, I can't imagine that also happening with Dolly, where it's after her death, she's still giving back to her fans. And Mm -hmm. that's just so Dolly, you know? That's just so Dolly. So sweet. Well, not to... (laughs) <laughs> take away from this touching moment but just basically I'm about to just grab you by your ponytail and drag you down the street backwards that's how hard of an <laughs> angle we are turning into a completely different direction um what you and I doing different subjects on this podcast <laughs> you'll enjoy this one though I it's cannot not wait. about a plane crash I, I can't wait to tell it to you but like the feeling that we have now is f- temporary I (laughs) I will just say that this feeling of like innocence and love and (sighs) oh god all right well all right so before I get started just just like a brief trigger warning that there is some mention of sexual assault and rape in this story but it is just rumors and it is not at all detailed just so you're aware what's up what's that face I
0: think I just figured out who you're doing.
1: I doubt it, but let's hear it. Are you doing Kesha? No. Oh. I'm not. I, uh, that was going to be my next paragraph is, um, hi. First of all, hi, Jess. Welcome. Um, you know how you have lightly broken the rules in a few of our past episodes? Like, (laughs) lightly straying away from the topic. Like, you're still within the topic, but you're, like, lightly straying away from the topic. Yes. Um, it's my turn
0: now. Yes.
1: And instead of covering the interesting backstory of one of history's greatest musicians like Dolly Parton, I am covering the backstory of one of history's greatest songs. Oh, I
0: love this.
1: By Boney M. Okay. It is a bop of the ages, a rager of all ragers. Okay. A gem of this and all past generations. And, of course, one of Just Dance's greatest hits. <laughs> I am telling you the sultry, scandalous, and simply salacious story of Rasputin. Or <gasps> Rasputine, the lover of the Russian queen. What the fuck? <laughs> and now... Dear listener, we shall start this story not in the past, but in the present. Although Russia's greatest love machine has long since perished, he has left behind a rather giant legacy. A part of him, his most important part some might argue, is currently on display in the Museum of Erotica in St. Petersburg, Russia. And no, dear listener, I speak not of his girthy personality, but rather... (laughs) Of his gigantic pickled penis, which lies floating in a jar of formaldehyde on display for the world to gaze upon. <laughs> My jaw is
0: on the floor. <laughs> Five minutes ago, we're talking about philanthropy. And now I have the image of Rasputin's floating dick. Yep. I wouldn't want it any other way. Right, it's who we
1: are. And for those brave enough to look this one-eyed snake head-on, they do indeed see something worth podcasting about. Jess, this 12-inch long phallic probe is as thick as a man's wrist and still has hair attached to the base. So, in other words, it is fucking disgusting. (laughs) And this is a bit late, but listener discretion is advised. (laughs) Um, you can also look up photos of this online
0: and see it for yourself. It's horrific. How did you get to public school without seeing this image? I know exactly what image you're talking about.
1: Oh, I'm not saying you
0: did, but this
1: is a general you. (laughs) It's, it's bad. It's bad. Um, so the man behind this wondrous wang is none other than Grigory Rasputin. Also, fun fact, I think, like, Rasputin means, like, debaucherous one, Or Deranged One, like, that's, like, what his name got changed to due to his history. So, fun fact there. He was born to a family of peasants on January 21st in the appropriate year of 1869. Thank you. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) In the Siberian village of Pokorovskoye. Although he attended school, he remained illiterate. But, lucky for him, his future was even bigger than his schlong. Those in his village reported him as being able to predict the future and apparently he had a way of calming down frightened animals which I don't understand. He is like the scariest motherfucker I've ever seen. Look up a picture of him right now. I beseech you and all my dear listeners look up a picture of Rasputin. He is horrifying. Like okay he looks like somebody in one of those Florida man articles that he's like selling (laughs) illegal animals on Craigslist. Like he is so scary. Okay. And apparently he could calm animals and so whatever. Okay. But (sighs) so he has like long hair, long beard, these like penetrating eyes and like a bald spot forming on the top of his head. He's just terrifying. So, at the age of eighteen, he underwent a religious conversion and moved to a monastery. But in all honesty, he just did a he did a, a really really bad job. He has since been described as the mad monk for his rather unorthodox beliefs. For example, he stated that one was nearest God when they when feeling quote holy passionlessness end quote, and that the best way to reach such a state was through the sexual exhaustion that came after prolonged debauchery. He never officially became a monk because of this, but he still claimed to be a holy man and returned home at the age of 19 and married, oh my God, Proskovia Fyodorovna Dubrovina, who would give him four children. And it is probably... Not surprising to any of you when I say that his marriage didn't cause him to settle down.
0: Naturally. Why yeah, would Yeah,
1: it? Jess, it's almost as if he was being pulled by a force nearly as big as himself. And no, dear listener, I do not speak of God. <laughs> In fact... He traveled much of Europe, living off peasant donations and gaining a reputation as a self-proclaimed holy man with the ability to heal the sick and predict the future. He had many followers, most of whom were women, who he was not shy about having sexual affairs with. So he eventually earned enough of a reputation as a healer and mystic that when he returned to St. Petersburg, Russia in 1903, he was warmly welcomed by those studying mysticism and the occult. There was something apparently appealing about a six foot four filthy, unkept wanderer with bright and mildly murderous eyes and apparently extraordinary healing talents. And they were they were fucking
0: into it. They were like, let's let's do it. Ladies, he's a four, but he has a 12-inch dick and can heal your children. <laughs> Absolutely. He's six foot four,
1: 12-inch dick, basically thinks he's God. He also has those, like, really baggy pirate pants that, like, <laughs> holds his, like, foot-long dick, you know, that kind of thing. Like, women were into it, apparently. And in 1908, he was summoned to the royal palace of the emperor and empress, Nicholas and Alexandria to heal their son alexi who is suffering from hemophilia um just so everybody knows that's a disease where the blood won't clot and even like small wounds will bleed a lot more than they should can i ask a dumb question of course
0: have you seen the show the great nar okay i think he's featured in that show but i could be wrong Ignore this question. My apologies.
1: (laughs) No. Sorry I didn't have an answer for you. Um, No, it's okay. I I am just going to really quickly.
0: Yes. He was? Yes. They don't call him that. They call him Archie.
1: But. (laughs) Oh, that's a weirdly innocent name for him. Same vibes. Okay. So, the Emperor and Empress called him to heal their son, who was suffering from hemophilia. And through Rasputin's supposed mystic and hypnotic powers, he succeeded in easing the boy's suffering. And he insisted that doctors be kept away from Alexei, and he allegedly threw all their medicine into the fire. But this actually may have been what helped Alexei, because... The doctors were likely giving him aspirin, which unknown at the time, and nowadays people understand that aspirin works as a blood thinner, which mm-hmm. may have actually been making his bleeding a lot worse. So by throwing it into the fire, it could correlate with him coming in to heal him and actually like helping Alexi get better. So but in the eyes of the Emperor and Empress, they were like, holy shit, this is actually working. <laughs> and to be fair it was. In his defense, it was working. <laughs> it was. And upon leaving the palace, again, he's, he can see the future, right? He warned the emperor and the empress that the destiny of both the child and the dynasty were irrevocably linked to him. And thus began his controversial and absolutely insane relationship with the royal family. So... The emperor appointed Rasputin his lampadnik, which is the lamplighter, and charged with keeping the lamps lit before religious icons in the palace. And this allowed him access, like regular access to the palace and the royal family. He paid many visits to the emperor and the empress's five young children who apparently just adored him. There were four girls and then the youngest, a boy, Alexei, who who Rasputin had actually healed more than once um i will say that by most accounts rasputin's contact with the children was supposedly completely innocent Mm -hmm. but there were some rumors that he had inappropriate interactions towards the oldest girls Mm. who would have been like young teenagers at the time oh god but yeah so it's not good it's hard to say and the, the girl's governess who was Completely justified in this, by the way, was literally absolutely horrified that Rasputin was allowed in the rooms with the girls while they were in their nightgowns. And Empress Alexandria eventually had uh, the governess fired for her attempts in trying to keep Rasputin away from her children. That's how much this Empress trusted him and loved him.
0: Oh, my God. And so...
1: Naturally, rumors began to spread that Alexandria and Rasputin were actually having an affair. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll get more. I'll get more into on in the in a, a little later. So, when not in the palace, our boy Rasputin preached that physical contact with him had a purifying and healing effect. So, yo, preacher in the streets, anaconda in the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just stating the facts, okay? So he had drunken affairs with women from all social backgrounds, like, including, like, sex workers to noble women. Like, he was all over the place. People just couldn't get enough of him.
0: Equal opportunist fucking.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. He did not discriminate. So he appeared to bask in his fame. He showed off shirts embroidered for him by the empress and invited her friends and servants to his home. And Raspian's wife actually appeared untroubled by his infidelities, commenting, quote, he has enough for all. Which is so funny to me, because if he actually had a 12-inch dick and he gave her four kids, she's probably just like, get him away from me. I will tear in half. I cannot handle this. Like she he can get all that elsewhere. I don't care. As long as he's sending money back to the family, that's just fine.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So she was Jay chilling with it and was just like, honestly, honey, you do you. And there are many unsourced, may I add, anecdotes to support the fact that he was indeed Russia's greatest love machine. And he, there, it is said that women internationally spoke of his penis's fertility-giving abilities And that, quote, one woman fainted from the intensity of the orgasm he bestowed. End quote. He bestowed. Like (gasps) it was a, it just. (laughs) Oh my God. I miss Dolly. I miss Dolly Parton. I just want to go back. Dolly, I'm Uh,
0: sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, for real. It's just she's not even worthy being in the same episode as this guy. So, uh,
0: although Dolly has a great rack that she's created for herself, so
1: she does kind of a similar she, energy. She sure does. I'm sure those will be pickled in a museum one of these days. So, oh, well, probably not. But my maybe they work. They just take them out, maybe, and put them in a silicone. I, I don't ask me. I'm not an expert in this topic. <laughs> so as time passed. The rumors got more and more extravagant and not quite as funny as the last ones. Um, yeah. In
0: 1910,
1: it was reported that Rasputin had raped or sexually assaulted many women and mm-hmm. began having and began behaving inappropriately towards the Emperor's teenage daughters, Olga and Tatiana. It was mm-hmm. also popularly believed that Rasputin and the Empress, again, were, were having an affair. And so, especially, like, noblemen and people of higher stature started to, like, write to the emperor and be like, get this fucking guy out of here. What are you doing? And he, and the emperor supposedly had uh, him expelled from the country, but it wasn't long before Alexandria had him returned to St. Petersburg. So she was still really advocating for him to be in her life, him and his friend, his little friend, I'm sure. Um, Around the start of world war (laughs) one, The emperor was away from the palace with his forces, leaving his wife, Alexandria, in charge of Russia's internal affairs with none other than Rasputin as her personal advisor and confidant. And his influence ranged from appointing church officials to selecting cabinet ministers who were often just super incompetent, like this guy did not know what he was doing, and he occasionally intervened in military matters, and low-key fucked Russia over, like, a few times. So, he was so... I, I... Just, again, the audacity of a confident white man to get what he wants. With a big enough penis, the world is your oyster. So... People people simply could not believe that a peasant, a mad monk, had this much influence over the royal family, especially the empress. But again, if you think about it from her perspective, the greatest doctors in Russia couldn't heal her son, but he could. And remember how he could calm frightened animals? He also had yes. that same effect on people apparently, which again if I saw him in an alley I would run down the middle of the street screaming. Like there's no way. And so he had this astonishing ability to alleviate both her and Alexi's anxiety surrounding Alexi's illness. And that may have actually really helped Alexi heal. Um, so, mm. But from the outside, it all looked really, really weird and shady. And people were not fans. Even soldiers on the front lines of the war spoke of Rasputin having an intimate affair with Alexandria. Passing it, off as common knowledge, even though there wasn't actually any evidence for this, but there was like propaganda circulating. There was like drama, uh, like like pornographic comic drawings, basically that were circulating about their affair. Very, it was very big, very juicy indeed. Um, and Us Magazine eat your heart out <laughs> for for real. So as the war progressed, outlandish stories expanded to include Rasputin's supposed treason. With the German enemy, and it should be mentioned that Alexandria is originally from Germany, and so she was already having a hard time, like getting the acceptance of the Russian people. And so for her to like and Rasputin Mm -hmm. to kind of be having this like friendship, maybe affair, it like really troubled them more. And so was not helping. Definitely wasn't, and it probably helped lay truth to the fact that this is complete bullshit. But like people definitely believe that. Rasputin was aiding the German enemy, maybe because she was once German. Who knows? But they said that he sought to undermine the war effort by starting a cholera epidemic in St. Petersburg with, quote, poisoned apples imported from Canada.
0: That's That's a long way for apples to travel. It is. It sure is.
1: Okay. Historians say that what the public thought they knew about Rasputin had a much greater impact than his actual views and activities. And these people started demanding that he be removed from his position of influence by from his position of influence by any means possible. And this led to several attempts to take Rasputin's life, but none were successful until December 30th, 1916 a group of extreme conservatives were like, okay, we got to kill this guy. Fuck this guy. Absolutely fuck this guy. And (laughs) Prince Felix... That's a quote. um, Prince Felix Yusupov, who was the husband of the emperor's niece, by the way, also like the richest man in Russia, he and a few companions invited the now 47-year-old Rasputin to Felix's home. Once there, they fed him wine and tea cakes both of which were poisoned with cyanide, and he ate and drank all of it and was completely fine. A positively flabbergasted Prince Felix then grabbed one of his companion's revolvers and shot Rasputin at close range. Rasputin collapsed, but was able to get up and run to the courtyard. I like to imagine at this point he kind of like... Wrapped his penis around his neck like a silk scarf just to keep it out of the way. And his, like, mad run, mad dash. You know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine that would just really get caught on, like, branches. I don't know. So. Third leg. They chased him out. (laughs) He was just running so fast. Oh, my gosh. What an image. So, yeah. (laughs) Just making great bounds and leaps. So they chased him out and shot him again a few more times until he was on the brink of death. Then they apparently threw him into a hole in the ice in a river where he drowned, and that was actually what killed him. So they tried to kill him, like, basically three different ways. And we know all this because um, Prince Felix, which is the stupidest name, wrote about it at length in his memoirs, quote... This devil who was dying of poison, who had a bullet in his heart, must have been raised from the dead by the powers of evil. There was something appalling and monstrous in his diabolical refusal to die. (laughs) End quote. (laughs) The audacity of this man not dying when I want him to. So, Rasputin's actual murder was probably far less dramatic than Felix made it seem. His daughter, Maria, who, by the way, fled Russia after the revolution and became a circus lion tamer.
0: (laughs) All right. Rebrand. Throwing that
1: out. (laughs) Okay. She wrote her own book in 1929, because of course she did, that condemned Felix's actions and questioned the authenticity of his account. She wrote that her father did not like sweets and would never have eaten a platter of cakes and the autopsy reports do not mention poison or drowning, but instead conclude that he was shot in the head at close range. And that's how he died. Mm-hmm. Felix apparently transformed the murder into an epic struggle of good versus evil to sell books and bolster his own reputation.
0: Rebrand, rebrand. Rebrand.
1: Exactly. He had to rebrand because he was the richest man in Russia, poor him, and known for not doing a goddamn thing. He didn't work. He, like, didn't go to the army. And people were like, this guy's literally just rich and useless. And so he wanted to prove to the masses that he was worthy. And while he did kill Rasputin, he wanted to make it sound way cooler than it actually was. Yes. But, again, that is still kind of up for debate because he was found in a river. So, I mean, anyway. Also, there is this, like, juicy rumor, and I'm pretty sure this is entirely untrue, but I still just wanted to include it because, like, this is who I am. As you should. That the Empress's, yeah, that the Empress's daughter, who was 19 years old, um, named Tatiana, was actually in on the murder. She had earlier, apparently, alleged to having been raped by Rasputin, so she showed up, quote, disguised as a lieutenant so that she could revenge herself on Rasputin, who had tried to violate her, end quote. Yes, bitch. She also allegedly watched his castration, um, which, again, we're here for, but it's probably untrue. So I have no idea. Just don't quote me on that. But I did read it a few places. Mm-hmm. So his body was recovered the next day from a river where they had thrown it. And whether or not his penis was attached to his body when he was buried is still up for debate. I personally like to think that after he was thrown into the river, if his PP was still intact, it served as a flotation device, um, allowing for easier retrieval of the body from the water. Yes. Like a lifeguard situation, you know? Um, And so the funeral was attended only by the Imperial family and a few of their confidants. Like, Rasputin's wife and children were not even invited, which is so fucked up. And the imperial family planned to build a church over his grave site, but before they could get around to it, his body was exhumed and burned by soldiers so that his grave would not become a rallying point for supporters of the old regime. Wow. This is a tense time in Russia. Yeah. As it always seems to be. It it always seems to be tense in Russia. I mean, just a year, just about like a year and a half after Putin's death, The entire royal family was murdered in the Russian Revolution. It is a really fucked up story. Like, I'm not going to get into that at all. But, like, it it includes the emperor, the Empress Alexandria, and her five Mm -hmm. children. It's so fucking sad. And so any truth about these rumors of Rasputin likely went to the grave with them that night. So we don't actually know about any affairs or sexual abuse or anything like that, like, firsthand. Or how much of that was just rumors of people trying to get him out of power A Mm -hmm. lot of people, especially nobility, did not like having a man who was a peasant up so high in ranks. So, yeah. So now on to the true legacy of Rasputin. The reason we are all here. (laughs) Is this wiener on display actually his? Dear listener, (gasps) I am so glad you asked. It is said that Felix and his group castrated Rasputin's corpse after he died and just left his mythical member cold and alone in the snow. Apparently, one of Felix's servants, who probably heard the wiener's cries, gathered the fleshy log and saved it from the freezing cold. The fleshy log? I had a really fun time writing this. I'm so sorry. Um, (laughs) Don't
0: look at me like that. I deserve financial compensation for listening to you say fleshy log. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that was that was a good one. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, well, if makes you feel better, I will refer to it mostly for the rest of this as Little Rasputin, <laughs> if that makes you feel better. So, so and again, Jesus let me start Christ. that over. One of Felix's servants, who probably heard the wiener's cries, gathered the fleshy log and saved it from the freezing cold. Thus would begin the journey of a lifetime for Little Rasputin. The gargantuan gland made its way to France, where it was preserved in an ice box and used in weird rituals. Legends say that in the 1920s, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> this is
0: such a ridiculous story. I'm sorry, the way you said weird rituals so casually like weird rituals like I don't
1: know what else to fucking call
0: them well the thing that's killing me is that (laughs) Russia is not close to France no it's not that's why it's such a big journey (laughs) such a big journey
1: for such such a gland yeah so like little Rasputin went again on the journey of a lifetime probably like over mountains through oceans like rivers through the desert like oh Yeah, it's not at all close to France, so how he got there, it's up to me to decide that, and that's what I'm enjoying doing. (laughs) So, yeah, again, it was uh, preserved in the icebox for weird rituals. Legend says that in 1920s, Rasputin's daughter, Maria, the lion tamer, God bless her, discovered a group of women in Paris that had been essentially worshipping her father's penis. They believed it could bestow fertility and they even, sorry, they even handed out small pieces of it to those in need. I mean, talk about charity. <laughs> I mean, really gives a new meaning to eating the flesh and blood of Christ. Come on.
0: I have to Google a picture of this jar.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I hope you do. Everyone else, I implore you to also look it up if you it's disgusting but it's it's you can't look away dear god look at it i know there's an image of it next to a woman's face and you can like really see how fucking big it is yes at least they were respectful enough to grab the balls right or at least part of them so that's what i'm thinking is that the little bits and pieces that they gave to people i think were off the top of the balls because like where they cut it Mm -hmm. because oh god it's so gross um so anyway, Maria apparently apprehended it and, I don't know, like, put it on her mantle. I, I don't know what the fuck she did with it. Like, I what would you do? Like, I would personally destroy it entirely, but yeah. she, I don't know what the fuck she did with it. And again, this is all alleged. There's no proof that this happened. It probably didn't, but it's a great story. And that's what I'm here for. And honestly, this, like, journey of Little Rasputin, this is a Disney movie I want to see. Like a weird R-rated spinoff of like Homeward Bound or something,
0: you know? I I just I have so many questions on this on this penis preservation. But you're right. I do. We do need a film about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, like a little Disney movie, like an R-rated spinoff. Because this whole thing reminded me of Homeward Bound. You know? Yes. Like. Brave little Rasputin finally found his way back to his family after a long, scary journey through Europe. Except, unlike Homeward Bound, Maria was eventually strapped for cash and allegedly sold it in the 1970s. Naturally. (sighs) As you do with your father's penis. Again, lost and alone, this legendary one-eyed snake searched for its forever home. Not much is known of Little Rasputin's wanderings in the decades between being sold. So I decided to fill in the blanks for you. And so, for the sake of this Disney movie trope, I'm, you know, this is the whole movie, Disney movie I'm writing. He then went to live with Winnie the Pooh in the 100 acre wood because his wood, too, was 100 acres long.
0: I don't even have a response to that. <laughs> Hold, please. (laughs) Ew, she pulled out a Winnie the Pooh plushie. I'm sorry. (laughs) Me and my squishmallow Winnie the Pooh will be talking to your manager.
1: (laughs) I understand. So, Little Rasputin was like, I too am a a 100 acre. Would So, like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, and after probably completely ruining Christopher Robin's childhood, little Rasputin eventually, and this is a fact, slithered his way into the weird hands of Dr. Igor Kinyadzkin, who purchased it for $8,000 and put it on display in the Museum of Erotica in St. Petersburg, where it is today. Dr. Igor says he is 99% sure it was real, but the penis has never actually been tested, so they don't know for sure. Other experts think it's actually a cow's penis, and that kind of got me down a weird Google rabbit hole, and I had to exit <laughs> out because I was getting sick to my stomach. I just couldn't. It's not up for me to decide. So, is the penis fake? Probably. <laughs> like, come on. How 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 could it have been preserved? For over 100 years after being passed through so many hands around the world if maria actually did get a hold of it how did she not burn it the second that she got it was it never actually recovered from his body was it still there like was it of completely average size and actually got destroyed along with the rest of his body nobody knows and dear listener Why do we still care about the supposedly (laughs) 106-year-old severed penis? And that's not including the 47 years that that penis spent on its owner. It's just been 106 years since it's been severed. Why do we care? Hmm? Mm -hmm. The main answer to that is that it is just simply gigantic. (laughs) If both the stories and photos of it are true... Rasputin's penis is, slash was, 12 inches long, potentially while well flaccid. However, there is debate over whether or not the pickling juices inflated the penis, but this honestly just makes everybody even more interested, because, like, of course we're all curious about a massive dick in a jar. You know what I mean? And I mean, whom amongst us? Exactly. And I mean, okay, also, it's not just any massive dick. It's Rasputin's massive dick.
0: Yes. Okay. And okay. as a result... Go ahead. Sorry. I googled cow penis. <laughs> sure. I don't think it's a cow dick.
1: I, it would have to be. Yeah, that's why I couldn't, because I didn't want to get too deep into that where it was like cow penis preserved. I, I just didn't want to go down that road. Uh, yeah, there's um, no,
0: there's no winning on this. I just, I needed you to know that I did Google that.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I also felt like it didn't look like it. But no. it could be another animal. So it was just like, but again, I was not about to let myself do that to myself. Research. I have yeah. boundaries. You know what I mean? So I was like, listen, I'm already a lesbian talking about a dead man's penis on a podcast. Like, I I need to uphold some moral some standards dignity. here. <laughs> yeah. So the tale of his supposedly well-preserved giant manhood will continue to amaze people for years to come i know personally that it is a story i will pass down to my children and them to theirs and honestly regardless of the authenticity of the pickled pecker rasputin was one weird motherfucker (laughs) and best of all he inspired the oddly historically accurate and hit song rasputin by Boney m released in 1978 These legendary lyrics refer to him as the lover of the Russian queen and Russia's greatest love machine. They describe his rise to power and his murder, and they do it to just the funkiest tune there ever was. It just slaps. So I would like to end this with a quote from an article I read by Magdalene Taylor in Mel magazine. Quote, How big was Rasputin's penis then? Immeasurable if your unit of measurement is social impact and mythic whisperings. End quote. And that is the story of Russia's greatest love machine, Rasputin, and inspiration for one of the best songs of our time.
0: I have no words. Thank you. When you texted me and said, I'm worried we're doing the same thing.
1: (laughs) That was before. That was before I. I have to actually. I uh, give a shout out to my coworker Anna. I work with at the flower shop. She, um, we were talking. She's telling me about her wedding, and she was saying how like some of the songs they danced to, and they were like, "Oh yeah, the classics. This one, this one. Oh yeah, Rasputin." And I was like, "Oh my god," did you know, because <laughs> like Jess, me, and you talked about this briefly
0: on yes. another episode
1: yes. about his penis being preserved, and I was like, "Did you know that his penis was preserved?" And anyway, and then it launched into this whole thing where I was like. I have to talk about this. Like I can't get this out of my head. This is so funny. And then I started reading like excerpts of some of these articles that were so fucking funny and I was just like I just I just couldn't get it out of my head. And that's when I decided that that was what I was going to do. That's what
0: I was going to do. What a journey this has been.
1: Yeah, like I researched a lot of other artists and famous singers with interesting backgrounds, but just none of them like really stood out to me, but apparently this one did.
0: This, this one did. I thank you so much for this. I, I feel like I, I don't know if I've been edified, but I've learned. Sure.
1: <laughs> um, Does
0: that count?
1: Sure. And before we get too far away from this, my sources were a Metro article by Evelyn Richards, a cult a weird article by Charlie Hints, Wikipedia, a, Britican- a Briticanica article uh, about his life, a Smithsonian Magazine article by Carolyn Harris and a Mel Magazine article my, by Magdalene Taylor. Those were my sources for this absolutely unhinged story. Um, I, I'm sorry. i sorry. I don't know what else to say. The contrast. The contrast between our two stories could not be more clear. Could it not is, be more. Oh, man. it's it, It's almost just like you spent your day... At a church service, and I spent my day shooting up crack in the alley. Like that's how this feels. Oh this is my like the god! Contrast. Like that's just the contrast that I'm getting from our stories right now. I don't know. Wow.
0: But you know what? I feel like I feel like we've covered spectrums. Every listener will get something out of this episode. And you know, the next time I play "Just Dance," I will not be able to get the image that's still on my second monitor out of my head ever. The hair mm-hmm. is really something.
1: No, the hair is honestly really what convinces me that it's human. Even if it's yes. not, like, his, it's someone's, like... Yes. And I'm sure most penises wouldn't look that right great after, like, a hundred years in a pickling jar. Yeah. How have they not tested it? I don't know, but part of me almost doesn't want them to. Like, I just want to believe, you know? I want to believe... Like, Rasputin's penis can be held to the same level and esteem as Santa Claus in the sense that he just makes us believe in the magic of the universe. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just It's all very similar in my eyes.
0: Yeah. I just have so many questions that I can't wait to ask God when I decide to fight him face to face. Simply, why? Why? It'll just be me holding this picture up that's, like, Xeroxed, being like, no words, just picture. Why? You know
1: what he's... I don't think God has anything to do with this. This is just simply the works of the devil. Like, it, that is, it's just so disgusting
0: that uh, it's... He, too, lives in fear of what he's created. <laughs> <laughs> he sure does.
1: But, yeah, that's the absolutely insane and unhinged story of Rasputin. The grossest and creepiest man I've ever seen in my life who apparently had a lot of political power so much Mm -hmm. so much well me and dolly we thank you for that allison dolly doesn't dolly definitely doesn't um perhaps she was interested or maybe giggled a few times but she's probably mostly just out doing real things to help people and not telling stories like this so (laughs) dolly we appreciate you um and Rasputin's penis and Dolly will go down in legend as some of the most influential beings on this planet.
0: Yes. Yes. Both worshipped in their own way. They have that in common. They sh- they do. They truly do. They do indeed. Well, Allison, thank you for joining me for musical legends? Question mark?
1: <laughs> <laughs> All I ask is you go and listen to that song again and just look at the lyrics. They're very historically
0: accurate. It's It's amazing. We love accurate representation of history. <laughs> do. Uh, this has been a delight. I have loved this yeah. episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, if you have not already, follow us on Instagram at Salt Lime Storytime and like, rate, and subscribe, all of the things. And we will see you next week for a lovely 321 shots.
1: hmm Yeah. Okay, guys. Yeah, we'll see you for 321 shots. And thanks for <laughs> Joining us on this episode. And again, a public apology to everyone who listened um, during my story. And yeah, we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye.